This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 204 of the Stable Scoop Radio Show, Inner City Slickers. Please support our sponsors as they make this show possible. Kentucky Performance Products, scientifically proven supplements for your horse. Find them at StableScoop.com. Welcome to the Stable Scoop, with weekly shows delivered right to you. With Helena and Glenn the Geek, live from the stable, it's every week. They bring you the news through hell, hot water, while using their tails as their own fly swatters. Sit on down and laugh till your poop Cause it's time again for Stable Scoop Stable Scoop Stable Scoop Stable Scoop I am Glenda Geek And I am Helena B And you're listening to the Stable Scoop Radio Show On the Horse Radio Network Well howdy Helena Howdy! That's appropriate for today's show, isn't it? I know. It? We have to be all Western today. We have to think cowboy. 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 Because we're talking what, about though? inner city slickers. I know. But you know what, though? When I dress up my cowboy hat and everything and you know, my bit belt with the shiny buckle, I still look like a faker. That's because you're a geek from Pennsylvania. I know. I don't look like a cowboy. I drive horses. I, you just don't look like a cowboy. I just don't qualify. No, no, no. You look like a gentleman. What do they call that? A footman? Yes. Isn't that the guy? Who yes, and we just been watching uh, Downton Abbey. Uh, we yeah. just got caught up on Downton Abbey. I would have been one of the footmen. That's correct. Yes. Yeah, I would love to live in that era. I mean, despite you know, like the the, the plague and, and the plague and, and all <laughs> all that stuff, I would have. I just like to dress up like that <laughs> and sip tea all day. I know a lot of our listeners have watched Downton Abbey and absolutely love it, and we just got caught up on it. We hadn't watched it, and we spent one weekend watching season one on Netflix, and then uh, on Hulu I found season two, so we just spent this weekend watching season two. So now we're completely caught up. I guess season three starts in uh, in January, so we can't wait now. We're no, I know, I know. January seems like forever, and what it a, pretty much is. <laughs> have you watched it? Well, I did. I watched a few episodes. Yeah, not a, the whole thing, but because well I came in halfway show. through the season. Yeah, you just have to go back and watch from season one on through, or it's episode one on through. It's just so well written and so intelligent a show. That's what I think that we really found interesting about it, uh, and so many interesting, cool characters. It is well written. It is, yeah. and Maggie Smith is just amazing. Yeah, she's she's great. She's a great character actress. Yes, <laughs> yeah, terrific actually. Well, we aren't here to talk about uh, Downton Abbey. We're here to talk about something very American, not very British. And that is a program that came to my attention by the executive director. She dropped me a note one day and said, can you take a look at this? I think you might be interested in doing an interview. And then we we had a side bonus for Helena and I because – now. You can't pick on us about this because I know some of you are Three Dog Night fans. And we grew up in that era with Three Dog Night, and we still listen to that music. And Helena's been singing it all week since I told her about this interview. Oh, God, yeah. They were, my father loved Three Dog Night, and he was a big musical influence on me. I mean, gosh, I grew up listening to this stuff. And then, and then the, the Croft Super Hour, that was, whoa. 
what we're gonna we're gonna what we're talking about is a program called Inner City Slickers. It's a terrific program put together by a guy that was the drummer for Three Dog Night for many years. His name is Michael McNeil. And then he went on to be an actor and uh, did many shows that you would recognize. He did he did that show, The Croft Super Show. He also uh, was on Donnie Marie, The Brady Bunch, and did a bunch of other acting as well along the way. And then decided, and, and he'll tell us about it, to start this foundation that he founded. And to change the course of his life and to change the course of a lot of kids' lives here in the United States. And then he got uh, somebody else involved, Cindy Lindemann Corwin is the executive director of Inner City Slickers, and she's going to be with us as well to talk about this terrific program, and that's what we have planned for the show today. Plus, Jennifer's joining us a little bit later with a product that you're going to want to hear about in the heat of the summer because this product will help you be cooler, and she reviewed it for us, tried it out, and she's going to have a report a little later in the program. Plus, we're going to hear about Helena's new horse, Brody. Brody has arrived He's there safe. He's safe, yes, and sound. We're going to hear more about whether she actually was brave enough to get on him yet. So that's coming up <laughs> later on in the show. <laughs> later on in the show too. So we'll be right back with all of that right after this message from Kentucky Performance Products. Regular listeners to the show know that we love Kentucky Performance Products. And that's an easy thing to do because Kentucky Performance Products stand behind their products and they believe in them. Your complete satisfaction is guaranteed. If you are unsatisfied with any of their products, they will gladly refund your money. Does your horse or pony get fat on air alone? Is he living in a dry lot or turned out with a muzzle? Can't feed him more than a handful of grain and some hay? Then you need microphase. Microphase is a great way to ensure your horse or pony gets all of the nutrients he needs to stay healthy without adding calories to his diet. Microphase contains the vitamins and trace minerals not found in grass or hay, and your horse will eat it right out of your hand. You can learn more about Microphase and all of the products from Kentucky Performance Products by visiting kppusa.com. That's kppusa.com. Check out Microphase. And now it's time for the Inner City Slickers with Executive Director Cindy Corwin, Lindemann Corwin, and the founder, Michael McMeal. Well, hi there, Michael and Cindy. Thank you so much for joining us here in the Stable Scoop Show. Hey, thanks hey, for having great. us. Yeah, great being here. Well, Michael, I have to start with you because you, you founded this organization that we've been talking about. And, you know, let's go back a little ways, though. This is a long way to come from being a drummer, by the way, of one of Helene and I's favorite bands of all time, Three Dog Night. Um, she has been singing Three Dog Night songs ever since she knew this interview was coming. I haven't been able to get her to stop. So this is a long way to come from doing that to, to doing all of the neat work that you're doing now. How did you get here? Yeah. How did you get here? Well, I mean, it's you, you started a life in entertainment and now you're giving back, which it's which a, a lot of successful entertainers do. What was the spark? What led you from that? Because they're totally different worlds, I think, sometimes. How, yeah. how, what was your, your travels like from one world to the other? Okay, well, so around 74 to 77 was a three-dog night. And, and I had worked with a on a lot of, I had a studio band or whatever, and I thought I'd get out of that business and involved in another one that had a little bit more, uh, I'd have a little bit of control over. So I 
picked acting. Not <laughs> so. Um, I lived I lived next door to John Travolta when he was doing Welcome Back, Welcome Back, Cotter, and we became friends. And I went on the set and ran into a guy named Harvey Lembeck, who was Eric Von Zipper in the Beach Blanket Bingo movies. He had an acting class. I said, hey, Harvey, I want to be an actor. He says, yeah, 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 I'm sure. Uh-huh. Okay, we'll show up at such and such a place, and we'll put you on stage and see what you have. Well, you know, in that class was Robin Williams and John Ritter and Elaine Boozler and Penny Marshall. And so wow. uh, I just basically watched as they performed. <laughs> and I did, have some, I did have some good energy, you know, and whatever. So he put me in his beginning class, and then two months later, I landed a television show on ABC, which was a kid's show called The Croft Super Show, where I was a character in that show and the name of the band. He wanted a, a person who could sing and dance and uh, play drums, and it was called The Croft Super Show, and the name of the band was Captain Cool and the Kongs. And <laughs> Why does that sound familiar to me? Hmm. <laughs> you, rem- you remember that show? I think I do. Captain Cool and the Kongs. How can you not remember a name like that? Yeah, tell me. I keep trying to forget it, but it keeps coming back. <laughs> but okay, so okay, that's so a we long were, way to come. I gotta we, say this: that's a long way from Three Dog Night to Captain Cool in the Kong. Yes, I yes, know. I remember. Yes, that was. Oh, I was there. Back. Yes, okay. <laughs> that was awesome. Well, you don't want to forget that. <laughs> well, here's the thing. See, that really kind of put me in front of kids. I mean, we were in all the teen, bag, teen magazines. We were on the, the cover of uh, Newsweek and all these things. And we started, you know, catering to the young kids and going to hospitals and things. And that's kind of what where I, my work with kids started in the late 70s. And I continued doing that and, and continued doing acting and what have you. And uh, actually got into producing... Uh, uh, commercials and infomercials. Uh, fast forward to 1992, I was working with the Temptations on a promotional thing they were doing, and all of a sudden, the L.A. riots came, and we were watching L.A. burn from our sunset office in Hollywood. And the thing was, is that, of course, I'm, I'm white, and they were black, and we looked at each other and said, what is up with this? So I created a television series called Cool City Blues, And for the next eight months, I walked the streets of L.A., South Central Compton, East L.A., meeting everybody from the gang members to the church members, Korean, you know, African-American, Asian, the whole deal. And I I really discovered an amazing group of people in that area. I've driven by it before, but never stopped, that, you know, that didn't want a helping hand. They just wanted people to help nurture their children because of the um, the economic situation that they were in. I mean, there was a liquor store. Good Lord, in a four-mile radius, there were 700 liquor stores. Wow. Can you believe? Yeah, yeah. So I kind of put the, um, put the show on the back burner and started the Awareness Foundation, which is the nonprofit that is the umbrella for inner-city slickers, and started creating different programs, uh, that would help the people, right? Because I was connected with a lot of people. So we would go down there and we would do acupuncture and massage therapy. We would, you know, help, uh, since I was in the music business, help find new talent. I had this program called Crossing the Line where I take a, an artist 
from a Korean church and bring them over to an African-American church and back and forth. And it really, people started loving this thing. But in 1994, I must have had slickers on my mind, city slickers. And I was shooting a commercial with kids and horses, and I thought, oh, my gosh, what about, you know, the play on words, inner city slickers? And called a bunch of people they thought it was a great idea, called Castle Rock Entertainment, uh, contacted Billy Crystal and those folks to get them involved. And there was this kind of movement going. And $10,000 later, uh, you know, I, I rented a camp. I, I had 50 horses. We had 200 people there. And uh, I saw with my own eyes how these inner city kids, these at-risk kids, responded to the Old West, responded to dealing with nature and horses and whatever. So that was kind of the, the jumping off point. Then we did them every year because we couldn't really afford to do them more often. 1998, my wife and I bought a ranch in Los Angeles, California, right outside. We started doing them every other weekend. We built an old west town, and we started bringing horses and cowboys into the juvenile hall prisons. I was in every juvenile hall prison from, from uh, gosh, Southern California all the way up to um, Northern California. And, and uh, it just started catching, catching, and catching, and uh, that's kind of how it all, all began. Had, had now, you been involved you... with horses before when you were a kid or anything? When I was a kid, uh, my do- my sisters were involved with little britches, and, <laughs> and my Aunt Mary, she had a string of rental horses, and we would ride. But see, my jumping off point, when I was nine, I got in, uh, you know, obsessed with a set of bongo drums that my dad had on his piano, and I would beat on them with any for shoes, uh, every spatulas, parent, whatever. Every parent's nightmare. He no, took up no, the no, drums. No. Yes. <laughs> They used to duct tape me. No, I'm just kidding. But, um, so, you know, so my sisters went the horse route, and I went to, you know, in the music thing. And then it's so funny, I went full circle and got back into horses again. And, and horses has really changed my life. And, you know, the people that are involved with it and the connection one has and, and watching a horse heal a child. You know, it's it's great. We used to rescue horses in California. We rescue the horses. The horses would rescue the kids, and then the kids would rescue us. Mm. It was this incredible circle of just divine intervention. That's the only way I can put it. You know, it was it was a spiritual thing. It's always been a spiritual thing. And since we're all these spiritual beings, we all have this connection, and it's just a matter of surrendering to that connection and being healed and being willing to look at your stuff and and letting go of it. And that's wonders of the horse. I mean, we have the kids tell the horse their story. They We have them sit on the horse. We do trust exercises with the horse. We have them lean down, and when they're laying around and they put their arms around the horse, I say, okay, now tell that horse your story. Tell them a secret. And the room just changes. The horse has changed. The language changed. The kids change. I could go on and on and on. And I won't. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because Glenn and I never know what the guest is going to do. You know, sometimes we have to coax people along and get the really good stuff out of them. And then there are times when we have folks like you who just have such 
so much passion and joy for what they do that it just it just flows and it and we forget that we're actually the hosts of the show. We, I, I'm just listening to you and going along with your journey here. And one of the things that comes up in my mind, the question that I wanted to get to you is, along the way, it, it sounds like it's so right that it is such divine intervention. Did it flow the way you just explained it? Or were there moments where you said, is this the right thing to do? Or, you know, did, did the horses just sort of present themselves as this is the way it's going to work? Yes, this is the way we go. You know, were there ever forks in the road where you said, I just don't know if I should take a left or a right. I, I really like what I'm doing here. You know, were there ups and downs or did it just yeah, flow? Good, good question. Um, let's, let me see how I can answer that. Of course, there was always ups and downs. I mean, uh, the city wanted to tear down our old West town because it wasn't built to code, you know, uh, you know, I run into apathetic uh, community folks who think that uh, their kids are fine and they're dying all around the place. Um, but, you know, honestly, for me, uh, you know, I, I hate to sound Pollyanna with this thing, but I never, ever look back. Once I locked onto this thing with the kids, uh, you know, I had 35 horses in, in California. You know, my hay bill was $1,200 a month. I, that came out of my own pocket, most of it. I mean, it just was something I knew was right, uh, you know, and um, I got to tell you, I don't feel like I ever, I might say, geez, I never thought I would end up being a quote-unquote cowboy on a ranch <laughs> picking up horse poo-poo and, you know, <laughs> doing this because I used to wear Armani suits prior to that, right? right. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, I, it just always seemed right, and I don't give a darn what comes in my way. It doesn't, it doesn't in any way uh, challenge my integrity in regards to these kids need help, this works, and get out of my way. Well, let's go over to Cindy now, who's the executive director of Inner, Inner City Slickers. By the way, I love that name. And let's have Cindy tell us exactly what you do for the kids. What what's a, what's the program like for them, and and how they bond with the horses, and how the horses help them. Well, you have to understand that a lot of these kids, when they first arrive, they're they're withdrawn, they're quiet, and they don't know what to expect. And they all have a, one thing in common, and that is that the the adults in their lives, the people that they trusted to take care of them, haven't done that. And they've done the opposite in many cases. So what we do is we start off the day with, you know, brief introductions. But we talk about horse safety and grooming, the basics. And one of the things that, that differentiates our program from others is that we actually aren't just giving pony rides or horse rides. These kids learn what it's like to actually do some work. We have them do chores like cleaning stalls, which, you know, they all raise their hands. They want right in on that. But we might have them move hay or, you know, do different things around the barn. And by doing that, they're actually working as a team. They're developing a skill that they may or may not know they're building when they're doing it. But they're also spending time around the horse. And then, as Michael said earlier, we, we do a series of trust exercises. One, uh, one of them is the fall of faith. So, and Michael is incredible at this. I've watched him time after time, and, and he gains those kids' trust, and he keeps it for the rest of their lives. I mean, and so he'll talk to them about, do you want to go up the first rung on the ladder 
or do you want to go to the top? And whatever you decide is okay with you, but we're going to be here to catch you when you fall. And it's, it's one of the most life-changing experiences just watching that part of it. So after we do that, and you can see in these kids' faces, they're starting to open up. You know, there's a lot to be said for a group of strangers being there to, to catch you when you're falling backwards off a ladder. So then we have them get their horses out and, um, you know, they do some more grooming and then we have them get on the horse. And a lot of these kids, I would say 99% of them have never seen a horse in person, a real live living, breathing horse. So they're, they're afraid. And then we ask that child to get on the horse bareback, you know, and they're, they are truly afraid. But again, Michael and the wranglers and the volunteers are just gently coaxing them to, you know, take that leap of faith. They get on the horse, and we just walk them around. Um, but then Michael does some really cool things. One of them is they put their arms out to the side, and they close their eyes, and they just they, they feel how that horse is breathing. Now, how many of us could do that as, as horsemen and women? We don't do that, you know, but that is truly a bonding experience with those kids. I think adults should do that, too. And they lean over, you know, lean down and put their arms around the horse. And you can see as we go through the day, the smiles just get bigger and brighter. They're interacting with us. They're talking to us. And then we, uh, we do a lot of roping. The big thing for a lot of these kids is the mechanical bull. That was, that was Michael's brainchild. This thing is hand built. It's a barrel. It sits between four poles, and when no one's on it, I think it's like 15 feet high. So it's intimidating. <laughs> and so there's a picture Michael, of it on your website, and it looks yeah, awesome. <laughs> it it is awesome to ride, but you know it's it's another challenging, kind of scary looking thing for these kids. But it's about overcoming their fears and helping them to do that. And so pretty much every kid we've ever had has gotten on that ball. I can't think of anyone that hasn't. You know, and Michael will give them a gentle ride, or if they really want to go, he'll, you know, he'll be a little more enthusiastic, I guess we'd say. Um, but, you know, and, and we end the day with riding in tack. And then after all is said and done, we sit around and talk. And we talk about the great things that we've seen as wranglers and volunteers. And the kids share how they feel, too. And I will tell you, I have never left one of these events without crying. And everybody's crying because it's so emotional. And, you know, these kids know, we tell them up front, we're going to stay in touch with you. We're not here just for today. We're going to stay in touch with you via email, on your cell phone, however we can. And that is challenging when we work with a lot of state agencies. They they tend to really guard these kids' privacy, which is a good thing. But we have been able to stay in touch with a lot of the kids that we've worked with and help them as they go through their lives in the foster care system or, you know, a lot of them are homeless. And we do our best to keep in touch with them also. But it's, it's life-changing for the kids but for the adults too. And, you know, I've watched Michael, like I said, so many times and it is an amazing thing to watch. He's just incredible. It's his life's work, but he's passionate. He's genuine. He's so authentic. He's a cowboy and the kids get that. 
and they know that what he says, he's good for his word. You know, his word is good. And that you know, goes kids, so far with him. Kids are very astute at um, detecting uh, disingenuous people. They, they are. Mm-hmm. They know it. And they, they've been, yeah, I know, up until the point probably when they reach you guys, they've been surrounded by that type of dishonesty. And so when they see the real thing, it's amazing how, how simple it is to reach them. So there's so yeah. much going on here. And in this one experience, they are, I mean, to me, what I, the, the very first part of what you're saying I heard was that the, the kids are put to work and they uh-huh. get involved. And what a sense of value, because I, I believe that everybody wants to grow up feeling useful and that, that you are a, right, a valued member of, of the world. And you put a brush in a kid's hand or a pitchfork in a kid's hand and poof, <laughs> look what you just exactly. did. You, you just created a sense of worth for a child who previously had none. And then now exactly. you create these, these trust and then bonds. And so in this very small, and I mean small, I mean limited in time, uh, you know, experience for them, you've just created a whole world of beauty and joy and, and reason to keep going. Exactly, exactly. And, and a lot of these kids have very little guidance in their life. They, they don't have anyone telling them that they can do something or that they're worth anything. And you're right, doing something simple like that is, is life-changing. You know, the whole day is life-changing because most of the time these kids just think they're doing exercises, they're having fun, but they're learning something in the process too. And that's the cool thing. You know, we're not in their face saying, climb to the top of a ladder and drop backwards and these people will catch you. That's not what we do at all, you know. I mean, you have to actually see... Michael in action. You know, he just, he gently encourages them to do what they can do and he assures them that we're going to be there. And I think that's a, that's a really common theme in this. We are going to be there. They need, these kids need someone that they can trust. Michael, are cowboys still cool for the inner city kids? Is that, are they still, you know, are they still respected as far as inner city kids are concerned? Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. And the thing is, is that, uh, I've had many, uh, let's say, wardrobe changes in my life, <laughs> and the cowboy is it, man. I go on, I go on airplanes. Everybody, it's just like, wow. And the kids, wow. I, every time I go into a supermarket, some kids say, "Oh, it's a cowboy! It's a cowboy!" So you know, that's what's great about it. There is a, um, there is a feeling about a cowboy that somehow they're safe, that they care. Now, of course, there's a lot of cowboys who are idiots, but the, the, the general feeling is, is that... <laughs> yeah, we know a couple of them. <laughs> yeah, really. Uh, you know, so they really respond to it. I love it. You know, I, I, I just love it. But you know, you're right. You are right about that. And, and, and the Western lifestyle has that in, that family and, and the sense of family and the importance of family ingrained in it anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Whether it's from the rodeo to any of the Western, you know, lifestyle things, that is part of the whole lifestyle. It's God and country, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, yeah. you know, you go to any rodeo in this country, and that's what you're going to see. You're going to see God and country and family. Those are the three things you're going to mm-hmm. see at a rodeo. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that, you know, we've met a lot of super nice cowboys. 
and they tend yeah. to have that and wranglers and they tend to have that and and by the yeah. way i'm looking at your picture here in your in your newest uh newest outfit your cowboy outfit and uh you do look like a cowboy so you fit right <laughs> yeah. well, you know you're talking about the uh the world loves a cowboy i was approached i've been working on a reality show based on this program for six years Mm. And finally, I got a big nibble on it, and I've signed a production, te- uh, a production deal with a company in Britain called ITV. And the reason they latched oh, yeah. on to it was because of all the problems they've been having with their teenagers over there. So hopefully, the first of the year, there's going to be a reality show. We're not going to call it Inner City Slickers. Right now, the working title is Cowboy Up. But it's going to be three families dysfunctional families into our program and see how the horse heals the family. Mm-hmm. That's a neat, I, well, I wish you the best of luck with that for sure. Now, where can people find out more about your, the program? Uh, Finney? They can visit our website um, at innercityslickers.com. Um, we have, we have several domain names, but they all end up at innercityslickers.com. We have uh, a lot of videos on a, a, so, a, a internet a site called Blip TV. And if you just type in um, Inner City Slickers TV, a lot of our video will come up. As We also have a great deal of video available on our YouTube channel. And that shows a lot about, you know, the program. It'll actually show the mechanical bull, the trust exercises. It'll give a, a lot more in-depth information, you know, on what we do, and you can actually see it happening. So, um, and then if you want to contact Michael and I, we've got brochures. We're working on a magazine right now. So there's a lot of things that, that we have available and will have available in the next couple of weeks. And how can, is there a way people, you know, people can help if they want to help out? You know what? Honestly, I'm looking for hands-on help. Yes, money is good, but hands-on help. You know what I got to tell you? And I'm, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit emotional right now because we can't, we can't get the men to step up. The thing is, is that most of the people involved with this program are women. And I've time and time again have asked, men, where are you? Uh, you know, black cowboys, Mexican cowboys. Um, we need strong men that can be role models for these kids who don't know what a man is. These young kids don't know what men are. They, they have some preconceived idea about this bull uh, that you've got to be this and tough and, yeah, and you kick somebody's butt and blah, blah, blah. And, and the women... Are, the young girls are used to their, you know, in these dysfunctional families that the, the husband beats up the wife. The, you know, all goes on and on and on. They don't have a clue. So we're looking for hands-on. We're looking for men, of course, the women, but they come, they come fairly easy. But the men, we need men. And so that's where I need help. I need men. I need strong men who are willing to, to take on this challenge of saving these kids. Because i got to tell you, I moved to Tennessee seven years ago because I thought it was a safe place. To raise kids in the painkiller situation here, the pain pill epidemic is taking so many kids in this area. 
and the people in this community don't get it. They do not get it. And it's worse here than in California. So people, wake up. You know, I know you have your own life. I know you have your own challenges. But if we don't step out of our own comfort zone and do something, We can be a beacon. We can be a big floodlight. You know, um, the the lights tend to shine out in Hollywood and they tend to shine in New York City and down in Wellington. But there's not so much light in places like Tennessee in these painkiller junctions. So maybe through our our efforts and our podcasts and our networking, we can get a big old spotlight on that problem and then – Put the call out like you just did. Put the call out for people to come because I think that if people know they're needed, they'll come. They just need to know they're needed. And the more we keep yelling, Michael, and calling for people, you just have to have faith that they're going to come. You just got to keep calling. You know, that that is that's so true because it's it's prevalent in every community, not not just a painkiller crisis, but. We deal with kids that are subjected to bullying. There's a lot of teen suicide. There's, there's so many issues facing our kids, and they are our future. And it's like Michael said before, we need men to get involved. We need communities to get involved and, and get involved with these kids and make a difference because we can do it, but we can do better, and we can help more kids if we have more involvement from everybody. It's not, I live in a small community in Iowa, and it is happening here, too. You know, there are a lot of at-risk kids all over, a lot of homeless kids, and they need our help. So we, we're doing what we can. The more help we get, the better. Well, so we're going to see if we we can get as many people to, to, to check out your organization as possible, and I, all our Stable Scoop fans, please tell your friends. Tell your friends about Inner City Slickers. Just, it's easy to remember. Inner City Slickers, Stable Scoop. Mm-hmm. Click, go, just learn a little bit, and I think you'll be moved to help. That's great. Thank, thanks that, for having that us. We really appreciate it. Well, you know, Glenn, we do a lot of interviews and a lot of, we talk to a lot of nonprofit organizations and people on this show, and um, I think. Uh, I, I think that, I, I don't know what I think. I just think everybody needs to share the story. I think all of our listeners need to share the story. If you can't do anything to get out there and help, if you don't know any men or you don't have any money or you really have no idea how you could help this group, I, I'm going to tell you right now, all you need to do is share this link with somebody else or share their link or just say the word inner city slickers, Google it. And you'd actually be helping some kid get out of a really bad life. I'm going to uh, also suggest that uh, either we play this interview over there or have Alan and Tammy from the Western Radio Show uh, interview them. Because I think that, you know, that audience especially has a lot of men. Yeah. And, you know, they're cowboys and, uh, you know, they're living the Western way of life. And I hope that uh, maybe through through the Western Radio Show also we can help get the word out because there's no, it's obvious that Michael is as passionate as they come about what he's doing. Absolutely. So, and, you know, Absolutely. he sees his success stories every day. Uh, you know, every day he does this program, he sees success and he sees what it does for the kids, so he's living it. Um, 
which fuels that passion every day. So congratulations yeah. to uh, him for what he has done. He could have, you know, lived out his life on an island in Tahiti. So we're, you know, the Stable Scoop Radio Show is honored to be a vehicle for for spreading their message. And, um, you know, everyone, Glenn and I get goofy, and, and but we have some serious topics on here, and it's hard to just, you, you just, you do you have to take it seriously and say, this is really important work. And, you know, our hands aren't really in there, but we can get our network in there. And, and we're glad that you stuck around and listened to this. It's important stuff. And now it's time to figure out how you can stay cool in the 100-degree heat all across this country with a product that we're reviewing on this week's Tack and Habit. As I said, Jennifer is here with us to talk about the Tack and Habit product of the week, and she is here because she reviewed this when you actually tried it out. What did you What did you give a try? I tested out the Extreme Air shirt made by Caspian Casuals. It's part of their Wellington collection. And so, tell us about the shirt. What's it like? The um, it's one of these really high tech uh, fabric uh, shirts that you're seeing on the market now that are designed for athletes in what you might call more traditional or more mainstream sports and the fabric it is made of is called ice fill fabric and where it touches your skin it feels cool whether it's dry or wet or hot or cold it just feels cool and uh, the ladies down at the Ada show were telling me about this and I was I'm, mm, I don't know about that that sounds a little weird <laughs> <laughs> it's like creepy. Wait a it's a, it's creepy, kind of weird. It's a long sleeve shirt. I'm sorry. It's going right. to stay cool, you know. So uh, she sent one up to me or down to me here in Ocala, and I waited until it was properly hot and miserable to try this thing out. I thought, you know, if I'm riding and it's 70 degrees, that really doesn't count, does it? Nope. Nope. Um, so I waited until it was properly hot and sticky and sweaty, and I've ridden in it twice now, and it's a long sleeve shirt. Uh, with the zip front, with the um, stand-up collar, which is what you see most in ladies' riding fashion wear these days. And it's got kind of an interesting design feature in that the bottom part of the sleeve, where it goes from the bottom of your wrist up through your armpit, is made of this really fine mesh material, which I thought was kind of interesting. And that does make a significant difference. That's airflow right there. Am- That's airflow. airflow to the underarm area is key. Is key, exactly. Is key. Yeah. Um, yeah. Ooh, yeah. How many times have you stood there like a bat? <laughs> well, yeah, and, and, and trying to kind of, flap your armpits. Yeah. And it kind of it kind of avoids that whole armpit stain thing a little bit too. Oh yeah. Which yeah. is good. Uh, so I I, <laughs> I went out, uh, I guess it was week before last or thereabouts, the first time I took it out. It was a it was a healthy ninety something degrees. It was the middle of the afternoon in Ocala, Florida, so the humidity was about oh three hundred and seventy five percent. Now, did you intentionally go out at this time of day to test the shirt? Because you, Floridians don't ride at that time of day. Well, so. this Floridian does because yeah. I do. <laughs> I do the morning show till ten thirty in the morning, and then I have all the wrap up work to do. Wow! And so believe I, it or not, the mosquitoes are are not as bad in the middle of the day here as they are in the morning or night. So, yeah. oh, okay, yeah. it's right. hot. It's hotter, but you preserve your blood volume better. Yes. If you ride. <laughs> okay, the mosquitoes all right. are horrendous. 
Now yeah. it says here, Jennifer, in the ad for this uh, this extreme air shirt, it says it lowers your body temperature by six degrees and has an SPF of fifty. So it also protects you from the sun. But did you fe- feel cooler? Did you sweat? That was the funny part. Is Normally, when you get sweaty, the cloth clings to you and you feel that sticky, sweaty, you know, on your skin. And if you're moving along at a trot or a gallop, it kind of feels good because that sweat has been absorbed into the fabric and is now evaporating. Right. That same cooling sensation you get from air moving across a piece of sweaty clothing is there all the time. So as I sweated, I thought it worked even better. So you didn't feel like your shirt was wet? No. And, you know, I sweated, good, I sweated plenty. I was out for about a good hour and a half ride. Um, we did a number of trot sets, so we, you know, got good and sweaty, and the horse was all sopping wet and miserable. It was reasonably effective at keeping the mosquitoes from biting through. The material is thick enough that um, the vast majority of the uh, mosquitoes, the needle was not long enough to get through the fabric. And, um, yeah, I, th- I thought the hotter it got, the more effective it was. I was very pleased with it. Uh, I took it back home and washed it immediately so I could wear it again the next day. Wow. There you go. Did they make a short sleeve version? They don't, which I find interesting. They do not make a short sleeve version. My guess is the reason that it would be is is if it does everything you say it does, which apparently it does, you want a long sleeve version so your arms aren't the thing that's sweating. Right. So you actually wait a minute. You went out in ninety degree weather in the in the Florida summer and did trot sets in a long sleeve shirt and, and were happy this. about it. It was a black long sleeved shirt. Holy crow! <laughs> yeah, and I'm telling you the as I rode and I got you know you get sweaty and it's you know how it drips down into your eyes from under your helmet you know and you're squinting and you're getting salt in your eyes. Um, it was more effective. I felt more comfortable. As it got hotter, when it was cooler, when I was like wearing it in the house, it just felt like I was wearing a long sleeve shirt. Big deal, you know, no, no effect at all. But the hotter my body temperature got, the more I said, "Oh, well, this is really comfortable. I don't feel like I'm wearing a sticky, sweaty shirt." Um, it's I like the fit. Uh, they they're designed to fit close because it has no effect unless it's actually touching your skin. Okay. And the zip front zips down far enough that the stand-up collar really opens comfortably because I can't stand a stand-up Anything collar. Anything around your neck, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yuck. Um, so that was very comfortable there. Now, the only downside is it does take a little um, care in that you dare not use fabric softeners on it and you're spe- supposed to dry it on low. Now, um, this one has held up pretty well because I didn't tell Glenn this, and he just chucks it in the washing machine and washes it with everything else. And yeah. <laughs> with the blue uh, jeans there, were no, there was not a Post-it note on it. <laughs> no, there was no Post-it note. And it's held up pretty well for that. It still works. It didn't shrink. It hasn't got pilled because um, it just gets chucked in with all the rest of the stuff. And we keep our dryer kind of on medium to low anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, but, but it when you say up. low, when they say low, do they mean like a cool setting or a low speed I think like, when they mean low setting on the dryer, it's a temperature issue. Temperature you, can't, low. you know how you can crank that bugger up when you're drying the bath towels? Yes. So it, it practically scorches them? Yes. Yeah. I think so. I don't pay that close attention. I just <laughs> shove it in there and turn the knob and hit the button. I guess I should. <laughs> it's because I don't own anything that's really – it's like, oh, yeah, $5 Target t-shirts. <laughs> yeah. And then again, you know, I, I, I'm just a little side note here. I, 
I went someplace last night for oh land conservation meeting and I wore some shoes and somebody was like, I love your shoes. And she was a horse person and I felt like saying, you like these shoes? You got to see the new Ariat britches I just got. <laughs> <laughs> but it, I, <laughs> it's like, you know, you spend all your money on your good riding clothes. So my the rest of my clothes are just junk. So I throw them in the dryer and don't even pay attention. All right. That was the scenic route too. Uh, the low setting is cool. Okay, so right. we have this T-shirt. It's fifty nine ninety five. Uh, so they're not cheap, but you know, if it, if obviously, High if it works, and in this summer of of extreme heat everywhere, uh, if you're looking to ride, then this might be an option for you. And as she said, it helps sort of keep the mosquitoes off because we've had a horrendous problems with those. Now, the other thing, Jennifer, is these come in really cool colors. You've got uh, you got purple and orange and turquoise and pink and like the coral coral and blue and emerald i mean just burgundy just all kinds of colors oh yeah coral and air papaya oh i like the papaya (sighs) so and these are available from what i've been able to see i did a search for them this morning if you just actually if you just google extreme air shirt you'll find a bunch of places come up with it and they're all available around that 59 dollars price range uh, so get your order in today. Jennifer, out of six, out of six flakes in a bale, what do you give it? I'm going to give this a five-flake rating. Wow. That's good. Yes. That's good. So why don't you just hang out with us uh, through the end of the show? Because we have to hear about Helena's new horse, Brody. How did it work out? Did he get there? He got here. Um, yeah. You know, I never do things the easy way. So... Uh, Brody arrived on Saturday afternoon, and then we had to ship out for Grace's first dressage show on Sunday morning at 6.15. So I had to get the barn ready for Brody. I had to get my kid ready. I had to get her pony ready. And then everybody got settled, and we took off for for Massachusetts. So he got here, and um, he settled in very quickly. Very quickly. He's very, very mannerly. Very. And remind everybody what he is again. He is a 13-year-old, 15-hand, old-time Appaloosa. I like the old-time part. Time. <laughs> well, because I Googled it, and he's, he's appy. He's definitely an appy, um, but his body type doesn't fit any of the typical Appaloosa. He's not stock. the modern type. No, he's, you know, I, I, what I've learned so far, and this is only with like one day Googling Appaloosas, is that they have different types of stock. I guess there's, um, you can have a thoroughbred stock, quarter horse stock, um, Arab stock, one, two, three, four, right? Um, and then there's something called the old time, which actually comes from Andalusian stock. In ah. many cases, right. So I matched up his body type with, you know, the four and then the old time. And he definitely looks more like he comes from the Andalusian stock. Um, or he could just be an Appaloosa cross with a draft. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, um, the, some of the research I did way back when with Appaloosas, because I was just curious one day, um, if you follow the North American uh, genesis of the Appaloosa breed. Those did have Andalusian because of the Spanish influence, because the Appaloosa horses of the American Midwest were crossed with domestic stock that was imported to the U.S. So you had the cross of many different Spanish lines, along with some of the more modern thoroughbred and draft lines. And Brody really does look like that, what you would call an old stock, the, the Appaloosas that were 
pre-industrial revolution kind right. of stock. They're a useful multi-purpose body type. Yes. Yeah. Versus versus a horse that looks English or looks Western. If you just painted him brown and took a confirmation shot of him, he would match up to Justin Morgan. Really? You know, because it's just that he's more square than rectangular. He covers as much yep. air as he does ground. Yeah. You know, versus the modern Appaloosa covers more ground than air. They're long and low, which is what most modern horses are. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's got heavier bone than your typical modern like breed. Yeah. He's yeah. got and- the, you know, he's, he's got that um, uh, square profile. You know, he, he really is a classic sturdy horse. And that's one of the things that I loved about him when you first sent me his videos, like, <gasps> what a nice sturdy looking little horse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's funny because I mean, you guys have been all, all following me on my horse shopping travails and he is definitely not something that I would have typically gone for. And I found him on Craigslist. And the greatest challenge for me shopping for horses is that um, is getting out to see them. I found lots of great horses at very far distances. And, you know, that's just not practical for me to sh- I'm not I don't have that kind of budget. You know, I'm not going to get on a plane to go see a horse. But around here, most of the horses for sale are like show hunters or eventers that are in the twelve to fifteen thousand dollar range, and you know, I'll I'll call up an ad and say, oh, he's great. You know, they're saying, oh, selling cheap or price reduced, and it's like, oh, he's under ten. I'm sorry, <laughs> was that ten thousand dollars? <laughs> yeah, right. No, I could like furnish my entire house for ten thousand dollars and your house. So you know, it's been really in, in the Northeast. There's a very limited amount, and and when people do have a good, solid, quiet trail horse, they're not for sale. Yeah, because they're 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 too expensive to replace. Well, speaking yeah. of good and solid, before we run out of time here, did you ride him? I did. I rode him twice so far, and um, you know, I'm I've, I've lost a lot of confidence over the last two years, and um, so I'm taking it very easy, uh, very slow, one step at a time. And uh, I rode him yesterday, just at the walk. I had low expectations. We met those. We exceeded those. We did a little trot, trot. I was happy and smiley and giggly. He was very well behaved. And then I rode him a second time today, and we had just as much success. Again, very mannerly. Um, pushed the envelope just a teeny weeny bit, and he was very happy with. We were still in that getting to know you phase, so I'm really trying to keep my brain from overanalyzing anything, which is truly my greatest challenge. So compare how your confidence level and your trust level are riding Brody for the first time at your house to riding him for the first time at his previous home? Um, riding him in his previous home, I felt way more confident because I know that there is a consistency in his history at the, that place. I knew that he was, or I was told that he was there for two years. His job was teaching lessons to many beginners. I mean, dead beginners. He was in a program, so he was ridden just about every day. Um, And so I know that horses tend to do well, and you can predict their behavior for the most part when they're in a regular program like that. So I was very confident riding him. In fact, I hacked him a mile down their driveway through the woods alone and then trotted and cantered back um, by myself 
I, I took them past some very scary stuff on their property and again was very confident. He had a teeny weeny little spook, which something, you know, flapped and flew out right from under us. So, but then you get him home and it's like, whoa, wait a minute. He's totally my responsibility now. Completely different environment. How is he going to change from what I rode at his previous home? And so, that just knocked my confidence down. Well, what you're growing into is not um, fear. It's trust. There's, you know, there's a difference there. It's not fear. Um, right. It, it is. It's, it's trust. And, you know, I, I usually trust the horses much more than I do the people because I, I have found, sadly, that people are, are very, very dishonest when it comes to their horse's temperament, not just temperament, but like care. You know, I've, I used to lease a horse who um, was owned by another woman and she was supposedly paying the barn to have the horse exercise because she couldn't ride him. So I rode him twice a week and I'm thinking I get up there and the horse has been ridden regularly when he's been sitting in a stall for a week and I go on, get on him and hack him out alone. And, you know, suddenly he's just explodes and you get back to the barn and you find out that the horse has been sitting in his stall for a week. It's yeah. not even been exercised. So little things like that, you t- I tend to distrust what people tell me. So I have to start a communication with the horse. I have to listen. I have to get past my nerves and say, is what I've been told about you true? But yet it's like I don't even know this horse's language yet. Because even though there's the horse language and then, you know, there's this generic horse language, there's the individual horse language as well. So I have to first tune into what he's saying and then listen and say, oh, okay, well, I, I trust you now. I get that. Am I making sense? <laughs> it's all a bunch of psychobabble. We love it. It is a bunch of psychobabble, which is what I have to just let that go. My husband said to me, can't you just get on and ride? Yeah, try it. And I, I can, <laughs> but he can say that because he hasn't been hospitalized twice. <laughs> <laughs> That does make a difference. <laughs> and, you know, even that, I know I can handle that, but I don't want to go through it again. I don't want to miss another year of riding because I misjudged something or I made a catastrophic error in judgment. So it's, but I'm not going to let it go. I'm going to keep going. I'm just going to go in baby steps. Well, thank you, Jennifer, for joining us today. We really appreciate it. We have to run. We're at the end of the show. Glenn is so bored by this conversation. <laughs> no, it's just we're plain running out of time. I'll call you, dear. I'll call you. <laughs> so I guess we'll just have to talk about this every week, won't we, Glenn? <laughs> I'm sure we'll be getting regular Brody updates as we go along. Well, so- you know the problem is that when Jennifer, Jennifer will pick my brain and she gets me thinking about she asks me these really deep, meaningful questions. So you can't, I can't help but overanalyze. <laughs> she's really good that way. She, she, she gets into it. So maybe we should just not have Jennifer on. Or maybe we should have Jennifer and I talk about it. And you can go do Horse Tip Daily. <laughs> there we go. Well, your sound is just going to crap here at the end of the show. So it's good, good we're wrapping up. And we're about to get a huge storm here in Florida, which we get every day at this time, by the way. Um, Every day the weather alarms go off now. So thank you so much, everybody, for joining us. We really appreciate you being here. We'll be back again next week on the Stable Scoop Radio Show with more good stuff. And if you want to listen to any of the past episodes, all 204 of them, you can go back to StableScoop.com. And don't forget the other shows on the network. Uh, You can go to HorseRadioNetwork.com. Thank you, Helena. 
Thank you, Glenn, and happy scooping.